you hear the whole thing about like 80% of your revenue comes from 20% of your customers and it's totally, totally true. Hey, my name is Felix Tia. I'm the host of Shopify Masters, a weekly podcast powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. Each week, we invite entrepreneurs like you to share what they've learned growing successful e-commerce businesses. In this episode, you'll learn why she decided to start selling fitness apparel in the roller derby niche, how non-product-focused content turns prospects into customers, and why is it important to release more and more products. Today, we're joined by Mickey Kremel from Superfit Hero. Superfit Hero is a body-positive lifestyle brand with a mission to make fitness more inclusive. It was started in 2016 in based out of Los Angeles, California, and is projected to earn $900,000 in revenue this year. Welcome, Mickey. Thank you. I'm excited to have this conversation. Yeah, so you this idea for this business came to you through your experience as a roller derby athlete. So tell us more about this. What was your experience uh, in a roller derby? How did this uh, birth the idea for your business? Yeah, so I well, I have some experience building brands. It's not my first uh, startup. Um, and when I was I was sort of in between projects and thinking about what I wanted to do next. Um, and fitness and sport had really become the thing that I was most passionate about. Um, before I started playing roller derby competitively, I never really considered myself an athlete. Like I worked out, I, you know, I tried every diet. My relationship with fitness was really all around weight loss. Um, and through the process of becoming a competitive athlete and learning to train for results instead of appearance, I had this like really transformative experience with respect to my relationship to my body and to fitness and just my overall confidence level. Like, I, I mean, I, I just, I feel like through, through fitness and sport, I really came into my own as a complete human. Uh, like I think we underestimate how important our, our relationship with our body is um, to like fulfilling our potential in other areas. Uh, and so I wanted to share that experience with other people. You know, the the body positive movement was kind of becoming mainstream at the time and people were having this conversation, um, but they weren't really talking about how to apply it to fitness. And so that was that was kind of what sparked it. And so I started doing some research to figure out, you know, like, what is the service I can provide? What is the product I can sell to help tell this story and make this change in the world around me? And um, you know, there was a huge hole in the market for really quality plus size fitness apparel. Uh, I live in LA where there's a lot of access to um, people who have a lot of experience with apparel, which I did not have. And so I decided to give that a shot. Awesome. So a couple of things there I want, I want to touch on. So you mentioned that you already had experience building brands and starting businesses in the past. Uh, were they related to, to um, like, I guess, e-commerce or how, how was it helpful that you had this experience uh, in applying it towards launching a Superfit Hero? Yeah, not e-commerce specifically, but online, definitely. Um, so I've worked for web startups and entertainment startups, but specifically in online marketing since 2004. Um, so, so I have a lot of experience building online communities and structuring, you know, communication processes and, um, you know, customer service is huge. <laughs> I mean, I honestly think like my years and years of waiting tables through college, uh, set me up almost better <laughs> than that experience. But, but yeah, I have a lot of experience with customer service and brand building on the internet. Got it. So you mentioned that you you had this transformative experience. You changed your viewpoint, your relationship with with fitness, and you wanted to 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 tell this. You wanted to be able to transform the story, basically into into almost into a business. Like how? What kind of business can you start that will help you tell this this story? So was there kind of a list of criteria that you're working through? Like was there like other options that you could have pursued? Like how did you settle on fitness apparel? Well, the first thing I did was really take stock of my, my resources, my connections and like what I'm good at. You know, I knew, um, having had a bunch of years of experience in tech startups, I knew what I didn't want to do. Like I didn't want to go raise millions of dollars and hire a bunch of people and scale really fast. Like I just wasn't interested in that process. I wanted to build a company that sort of, you know, 
that brought in revenue from day one so that it could sustain itself and um, grow more organically um, based on real connections with actual humans. Um, <laughs> and so I, I was thinking about, you know, building a business that supports my lifestyle instead of the other way around. Um, like I've seen so many people in startup land just kind of jump head on into an idea they're not sure will work. And then three years later, you know, it's over and they're starting over with a new one. And I just, I was kind of done with that process. Um, so I took stock of my resources and my connections. Like I knew, like I said, how to build a brand. I knew how to connect with people online. Um, I'm familiar with, you know, just how to do sort of multi-channel marketing. Um, and I, and because I was playing roller derby, I had access to this amazing community of athletes that I knew would support me. Uh, and so I thought about something I could make for them specifically as a way to get the business launched. And so I spent the first two years really just focused on roller derby. They were my first customers. Um, you know, they supported my Kickstarter. Uh, it was because I had that community behind me and I knew that, that those athletes, you know, are in the market for this product that I, that I landed where I did. Got it. Okay. So you wanted to, you mentioned you wanted to be, to be profitable from, from day one and not kind of, you know, pour a bunch of resources and time into a, uh, basically like, like a tech startup approach where you don't see revenue for, for, or you don't see profit for, for a long time. So what kind of questions do you ask to determine this? I think this is a, this is a very important, important question for a lot of people out there that, once they, they want the same thing, right? They want to be profitable as early as possible. So what kind of questions do you need to 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 look at to determine if the business idea, the business model that you're going after can be profitable from the beginning? I mean, this is this is actually what I used the Kickstarter for. Uh, so a lot of people do crowdfunding just, you know, as a way to raise money. And, and I really did it to sort of test the business. I was testing the product. I was testing the price point. I was testing the messaging. Like if, if the Kickstarter wasn't successful, I would not have moved forward. Like it was my way of sort of, you know, putting my toe in the water without a huge risk because I hadn't made the product yet. I hadn't really invested a ton of money into it yet. Um, I had done all the development already. So the Kickstarter represented, you know, what our actual product was going to be, but that was my way of testing. Um, and, you know, those are the, the questions we asked were, you know, is the price right? Is the product right? Is the messaging right? It's, it's really about, you know, you hear people talking about product market fit. Like, are you making the right product for the right customer? I think the first, like, a year and a half of the business was really, really clarifying that, you know, where we took feedback from the customer about fit, sizing, you know, we perfected all of that. But we also really perfected the messaging. Like, we figured out, you know, what what messages were resonating with people and 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 the brand just kind of started to take on a life of its own. Mm. Yeah, I think this is important that you don't always end up with the, the product and market that you originally thought of from the beginning. So what were some of the biggest learnings throughout the last year and a half about that the product or the, or the messaging that, ha that has changed the, the most drastically from the beginning until now? Well, that was one of the things I did learn from tech was this, um, you know, the idea of iterating your product, you know, putting something out, getting feedback and making changes. Um, you know, we did, we did online surveys. We have a really robust review system, which we can talk about. Um, and like, we, like we really do follow, uh, our customers lead. We have a Facebook group where they tell us, you know, what products they want next. Um, and so, you know, the fit definitely changed over the first two years. Uh, you know, we took people's feedback and just made, um, made changes each time we put out, we started with just leggings. Uh, it's important to clarify. And, um, and I had developed a really great fit before we even launched the Kickstarter. We had, uh, athletes of all different sizes, trying them for different, uh, activities. Um, but you still never know until you put a product out there, whether it's serving your market the way you want it to. And so, you know, we, we received a bunch of feedback. We did surveys at various points. And then each time we did a new run, we would make uh, adjustment to the the fit of the legging and that now we're you know it's like it's like the best it's so good <laughs> um 
And so when we have um, everything from extra small to 5XL, which for us is size zero to 30. Um, And, you know, we have fit models all along that range. We don't just size up from a small and expect it to fit everyone. Um, We, you know, we added pockets and the pockets have become like a staple uh, brand identifier for Superfit Hero. Um, and now we have lots of other products as well, but the leggings were like the core thing that we started with. And we really did interact a lot with our customers to get it just right. Right. So I think, I think when you, you know, when you first started, I'm sure you had all these, uh, these visions, these ideas for all the different types of products that you want to offer, you know, beyond just leggings. And also that you could have served way more kind of athletes, way more sports than just with the roller derby community. But you, you decided to really focus on one type of product and one community. So I want to talk about the kind of the importance of this, this I guess, realization, this approach that you took and starting with the, the market first. Why did you think it was so important just to focus on the roller derby community, even though the products that you have to offer, the leggings at the time, could have been applied to any other sport? Well, I wanted to make sure that we got them. I mean, I had, first, the first part is really easy. I had access to the roller derby community. They're my community. And I, you know, I just, this is, it started off as a roller derby brand where I would go to roller derby events and market to the roller derby community. And I, you know, I, I'm, I'm still a part of that community. I retired three years ago and I'm still a very active part of the community. Um, but it was, it was important to me to start within a well-defined community so that I could use that time to really hone the product and the messaging. I mean, the whole brand is bo- is born of roller derby. I mean, roller derby is, you know, feminist, body positive, queer friendly, like all of these things that define the brand of Superfit Hero are really, um, you know, sort of inspired by that sport and my experience and my own identity building within that sport. Um, so it made sense for me to start there and it was a safe space for me. It was a community that I knew and that trusted the brand. And I think now that I'm expanding into other sports, you know, we have yoga, weightlifting, CrossFit, Zumba. We've got, you know, know, we have athletes across the spectrum using our products at this point, but they all share in common that sort of uh, body positive ethos that feminist ethos that for me, I found through roller derby. Um, and so that's sort of the, the central piece that allows us now to expand beyond that sport. Mm. I think I think a lot of people, when they are part of a community, their fear is that they don't want to come across as someone that is now you know, kind of spamming. So how do you bring a product, a business to a community that you're part of, I guess, gracefully? Oh, that, that's a great, great question. Um, and and my answer is so lame. It's like by being authentic, you know, <laughs> it's um, and again, because it is my community, I can I can have that conversation in a real way with other roller derby athletes. But as I expand into other sports, I I lead with the stories of people that are in that sport. So it's not it's not my place to go out there and say what it's like to be a competitive weightlifter, but I can create a video with Sarah Robles, one of our, our sponsored athletes, and let her tell her story. Um, this is actually one of my uh, favorite parts of running this company is I now have this platform that I can use to elevate, you know, other voices, athletes that are doing other activities and that have stories to share and that you know, sort of, so people can see themselves, you know, as these superhero athletes. Um, so, so that's kind of how I'm doing it is I'm, I'm, I'm leading with other people's stories instead of, it's not always just a product. Like we don't, we don't actually do a ton of product content. We do a lot more, you know, athlete content and highlighting people. We do a series called superhero moments, you know, so like what was the thing you did this week that made you feel good about yourself? And then we share those on social media, uh, so our content is is partially about the product, but it's it's more so about you know the 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 feeling of confidence that we're trying to to share with people. Mm. Yeah, because your content is not not super product focused. It's not you know getting eyeballs on the product itself. It's more about stories of of your ambassadors, of these influencers, these role models in your space telling their story. How does that eventually turn into a sale? Like, what is the process behind someone that's coming and seeing your your uh, non-product focused content for the first time and eventually becoming a customer? 
Well, this is the the reason why we we think about it holistically. So we have a real multi-channel marketing strategy where, you know, I'm creating, you know, this sort of inspiring content. We do videos and photos, but we also do, you know, just paid advertising on Instagram and Facebook that is product focused. And then um, we also have a Facebook group, which is mostly you know, um, it's mostly about people just sharing their stories and confidence related and fitness related questions. But we also do talk about product in there and we do a lot of sort of flash sales in there. Um, but the real key is to get folks on our email list. Uh, so the email is our biggest converter. Um, and then we do obviously like retargeting ads for people who visit the site. Um, but don't buy anything, then, you know, we'll, we'll advertise to them with the images of the products they were looking at. And that's really effective for us too. Okay. So what, what is the, in your eyes, what, what is the goal of the, the kind of story based content? So my, my sort of overall thesis for this business is like, I'm not trying to be Lululemon. I'm not, I don't want to raise money. I don't want to be a billion dollar company. I'm much more interested in building a smaller lifestyle business with a small team and a high profit margin. Um, and the way I do that is by building a real community of customers that are loyal to us and emotionally connected to the brand. Um, so we're never going to be able to compete on price. We're never going to be able to compete, you know, on scale. But where we can be different is by being a brand that has a really uh, authentic story and message um, and that makes people feel a certain way by interacting with us and our community. So I keep mentioning our Facebook group. You know, we have over 2,000 members. These are our most active customers, but also just people that, you know, want to participate in the body positive fitness conversation. Um, And a lot of those people haven't purchased from us yet. And that's fine. You know, we're building this community over time and it's, you know, it's part of our mission the other thing we have going now is our body positive fitness finder. Um, and so this sort of grew out of my influencer program where we were sponsoring body positive fitness trainers and yoga teachers as a way to, you know, have them promote our products to their customers and sort of just grow the community. Um, and at a certain point, I realized, I was like, wait, we have like hundreds of these trainers <laughs> and we have relationships with them. And then we have thousands of customers on the other side and they probably want to meet each other. <laughs> so we created this online directory where anyone, customer or not, can visit our site and find a trainer near them, whether they want to lift weights, do yoga, go hiking, like whatever it is, they can find somebody near them that will, you know, sort of be a, a body positive fitness person in their lives as opposed to, you know, diet culture, 24 hour gym places. Um, and yeah, that, that's something, you know, we don't make any money on that. It's just part of our community building. Um, and this, but it's one of those things that I know over time will really help solidify us as the brand for this emerging body positive fitness market. Mm. Yeah. I think, I think in the world that we're in, it's so a direct response ads kind of focus where you put up an ad, you drive to a product page and try to get a sale off of that very first time your your prospective customer sees you. And the pros that you're taking is it kind of it kind of can be really hard to measure and requires patience, right? Because these stories are meant to build a community, loyalty, mostly connect with uh, with your community. And these things don't happen overnight, don't don't happen with that first time they see you, don't happen maybe for a while. So how do you how do you, I guess, measure this, the, I guess, uh, performance, I guess, of these kind, this kind of content and know that it will work over time? Like it has been showing, showing to, to, I guess that that's proving to, to work over time uh, for you. How do you, how do you, how do you know that's working? Right. And that's a great, great question. And, and with respect to the body positive fitness finder, I don't know yet that it's working. Um, it's just something that, you know, it just felt like the right thing to do for the mission of the brand. Um, and again, it's about building those relationships. Like, like when we first started finding body positive trainers was really, really hard. They just did, they weren't out there. And now we're seeing more and more and more and more and more and more. And, um, and we want to make sure that all of those people are connected to our brand. Right. And so that, like, I, I don't know yet if that, I, I assume it's paying off. We don't, it, it's a really hard thing for us to track. I mean, the things we can track obviously are email conversions, 
you know, uh, social ad conversions, what's coming through from PR, you know, and we're using all those channels. But but I am skeptical that looking at any one of those statistics is really just about that statistic, right? I mean, there used to be the old adage, like your customer needs to see you three or four times before they buy. And now it's like 12 plus, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So like, who knows what if they buy through the Facebook ad where they first saw us, you know, it's, it's really hard to track how many times they've seen you before then. I'm skeptical of, of those stats. I think you really have to be everywhere the customer is and create a holistic brand presence that they recognize that's differentiated from other brands in the space um, and that creates some sort of emotional connection for them so that they feel like they want to give you their hard-earned dollars. Right. Makes sense. So, so you, you have a couple of different places where you can interact with your customers. You mentioned the email list, you mentioned the Facebook group, you mentioned uh, ads, you mentioned these stories. So can you walk us through like your ideal customer, your ideal community member? Can you walk us through where they first where you would like them to first see you and where you want them to eventually end up. Yeah. I mean, right now it seems like most of the people are first interacting with us through our Instagram and Facebook ads. Um, And so those are really effective for us because obviously we're able to target really specifically like who we're looking for. We do, you know, lookalike audiences based on people who've purchased from us before. Um, We focus uh, really specifically on certain sports that we know, um, you know, tend toward the body positive ethos. Like, mm-hmm. sorry, a quick, quick question here is, are these ads like the product focus one or, or are they promoting the content? These are, these are product focused. Yeah. So I mean, those okay. are the ones that, that get seen the most. Uh, we do promote our, our, um, less product fo- focused content as well, but the, those get, those don't obviously convert as well. Like people don't click them as much, like they'll watch them and then, but they don't interact with them necessarily. Um, but even even our product ads will have a little message that kind of is really clear about who we are, and and they're showing really diverse bodies like in the ad, which is something people aren't used to seeing, you know. Um, so that in itself is sort of telling the story about who we are and what we care about, just by the virtue of who we feature in our advertising. Um, so that's sort of step one, and then they'll come to the site. And they'll read more about our story and they'll see all of our gorgeous models and, and be like, Oh my God, this is, this brand speaks to me. Um, and then the hope is they'll sign up for our email list. Um, once they're in our email, we send a series of onboarding messages that introduces them to who we are, why we exist, how we're different from other brands. You know, we sort of, um, incentivize their first purchase with a discount. And we, you know, we send them through this whole series trying to get them to make that first purchase. And, um, and then we also invite them to the Facebook group. Uh, so, so, you know, each step of the way invites them to engage with the brand in another way. And the ideal customer is engaged with us on all those platforms. They're following us on Facebook, on Instagram. They're in our Facebook group, you know, um, they're on our email. You know, each each channel is sort of inviting customers to join the other channels. And then the hope is that, you know, they're engaging with us in all those different ways. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure you have the numbers on top of your head, but is it, are people more, are, are you most, is most of the revenue coming from people that are seeing like a product focus ad and then buying, or is it mostly coming more on the back end after they've been on the email list and inside the community? Email is, a, email is our highest converter. It's 8%. Um, followed by organic search and then our social ads, organic search and social ads are about the same. That's like a 5% and then followed by PR. Okay. Awesome. I guess you do have those numbers, which is is great. (laughs) Um, so so I think this is this, this onboarding sequence that you're talking about is, is obviously very profitable for you and it's automated and it's almost like a, a, a robotic sales person that's like going out there selling for you every day. So it's an important thing for you to set up, but I think it can also become a little daunting because uh, a lot of people that might not have this might be like, I don't even know where to start. I don't, I don't even know what mm-hmm. to say. So can you kind of walk us through this? Maybe starting with um, what is the incentive for someone to first join your list? How do you incentivize people to, 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 to join your email list? I mean, it's a pretty standard operating procedure at this point. You know, somebody's browsing your site. 
we wait, I think, almost a minute before we throw a pop-up at them because I find them kind of annoying. And like, I want to make sure they're already, they're interested in our product before we send them away (laughs) by, you know, popping things up in their face. So we wait a a minute before we throw the pop-up, but then, yeah, there's a pop-up that says, you know, save 10% by joining our mailing list. Um, Because by then, they're they're already interested. Have you played around with different incentives? Like, is is this like 10% like the one that's one out out of the uh, other incentives that you tried? Um, Well, it's I've tried a 15% and the 10 is the same. So we went with 10. Mm -hmm. Um, Those are the only two that I tested, to be honest. But it's also part of our it's it's meant to be a part of our broader campaign because so our sponsored trainers have uh, influencer codes that they share with their community. That is uh, 15% off your first order. And we wanted that to be more than, you know, the mm-hmm. general pop-up sense. everybody gets. Uh, so that's kind of how we landed there. Okay. So then once they're on the list, how, how long is this uh, onboarding sequence? Like, what are you, what are you leading with? And we could do better here, to be clear. <laughs> um, this is something I'm working on improving right now. But yeah, I, th- I think we, I think just just general idea of how you approach it. So if someone out there doesn't have anything like this at all. Like how can they yeah. just get something? So the very first email we send is right away. It's like, thanks for signing up. Welcome to the community. Here's your 10% discount code. And then we include some information in that email about like what we're trying to accomplish and why it matters. Um, and then we follow, if they don't purchase using that code, we follow up the next day with a reminder. And then a few days later, we send them an invite to join the Facebook group. Um, and we tell them, you know, in the Facebook group, you gain access to all these amazing conversations, flash sales, special discounts. Uh, a few days after that, we tell them about the Body Positive Fitness Finder. And then, um, let's see, on day 10, they get another reminder for the discount. And this is, of course, only if they haven't used it. So it's like it sort of branches off into different directions depending on their activity. Um, But if they don't purchase, then, you know, every few days we'll sort of remind them. And then if they still don't use it after a month, then we up the discount to 15% to, you know, try and get them into that first purchase. Um, and then the flow ends after 40 days. That's the sort of last chance email where we, we resend them the 50, 15%. Um, and then that's the end of the welcome flow. So you mentioned that at first you, you talk about like who you are, why you exist, how you're different. Have you, did you have to kind of, I'm assuming this is one of those things that you said that you started with an idea of who you are, why you exist, and how you're different. And over time, it's it's evolved. How did you decide what was important to talk about in that particular email to almost like tell you, uh, basically introduce your brand, your company, your message, your vision to to your prospective customer? How did you know what to include in that email? It's been a really organic process. I mean, it's not far from where I started. You know, I'm, uh, it's still... But we do sort of follow our community. Um, and so the the language around this movement changes over time. And we need to make sure that we're moving lockstep with that. Um, and part of that is just is like you can't just post content on the Internet. You also have to consume it and you have to interact with people. And and through that interaction and by seeing which of our posts get reposted, uh, you know, we can really tell what messaging is. Um, is resonating with people. We don't do a ton of A-B testing right now. Um, that's something I want to get into with with respect to the email flows in particular. Because email is so huge for my business, um, I want to spend more time here and make sure that we're optimizing. Um, so we don't... I, we're on MailChimp right now. I find uh, A-B testing kind of onerous on that platform. And so we're actually about to switch um, um, so, so, so this is the sort of next on my list is how to, how to get more, um, more, more sort of in the weeds and technical around testing our messaging. Cause right now it's just organic. It's like, you know, we see people reposting things, liking things. We're like, okay, that messaging is working. Um, but we're not using a lot of data to back that up yet. Mm, I think, I think that's a, a fine approach. I think the the worst case is over-optimizing too early where, 
you yeah. don't really have anything to work with yet and you're spending too much time making tweaks where you don't have enough data or not enough input really to to make these determinations. So you almost have to go with your gut, right? To, to start. Totally. Kind of yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you mentioned that the Facebook community a, a few times now, and this is obviously a very core to, this is where your community gathers. This is how they talk to each other sounds. So what, what, what's in there? How did, what's in the, the Facebook group? Uh, so we created it uh, initially just as a way, because we, we realized we had brand um, uh, customers that were like really, really engaged with the brand. And, you know, they would repost everything and, and just get really excited. And we wanted a way to sort of get them connected to each other um, and also to the trainers. So all of our all of our sponsored trainers are in this group as well. And so there's a lot of conversation around, you know, um, we have people that ask for advice. A woman today, you know, was dealing with cancer and was asking about how do I modify certain movements? And a bunch of the trainers jumped in with suggestions. Um, you know, we do a weekly uh, superhero moment post. So every Friday we ask people to share their superhero moment of the week. It could be fitness related. It can be work related, life related, doesn't matter. And it's just this really nice, inspiring day where people are posting things that they're proud of. <laughs> um, you know, um, the community itself has sort of started some of their own days. So an awesome one Friday is Furball Friday, where everyone posts photos of their pets has nothing to do with, you know, with Superfit Hero at all. But it's like, you know, it's just the way that people connect with each other. And and it's just become this really positive, affirming uh, sort of safe space for people to ask questions and to be, you know, proud of their accomplishments. And it, it's it's a really inspiring place. Mm-hmm. Now, now, when you first started Buddy Poots as a group, like how did you kind of kickstart? Because I think at 2,000 members, like you mentioned, you have, there's probably already kind of uh, posts and like engagement between yeah. members. But when you first start, it's probably like up to you, right? Or you and your team to start producing the content? Yeah, definitely. We It's, it's a lot easier now. Um, we, we used to have to kind of spark the conversation much more. And so we did it by creating a schedule per week. So, and we still do a lot of these things. So on Monday, we welcome all the new members and we ask them to answer two questions. What is your workout or movement practice of choice? And what is your superpower? (laughs) And this sparks a bunch of conversation because somebody will be like, oh, I'm, you know, really into aerial yoga. And then someone else will be like, oh, my God, me too. You know, and they'll start talking about it. And so so that sort of gets the conversation going. Um, And then, like I said, every Friday we do the uh, superhero moment. But then we also just um, we bring in our sponsored athletes and trainers to do, to like do Q and A's and, you know, sort of be the expert on weightlifting or the expert on yoga for that week. Uh, so we do a lot of, you know, sort of stoking the conversation, uh, again, by highlighting the expertise of people within the group, not necessarily our own. Um, and then on top of that, we do, you know, everyone in the group gets like early access to new products. Um, we sometimes do voting, like which color do you prefer, uh, so they really get to sort of participate in the brand from a product perspective as well. And people really enjoy that. Hey, real quick, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think or what you'd like to hear more of. Now, let's get back to the interview. So you mentioned to us, too, that where you one of your expertise is, is this kind of niche community marketing. So is this what you mean by that or is there more? more is there something else uh, to it? I mean, this is definitely a big part of it. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, just also just being for me, niche marketing is, is, is like I was saying, this sort of omni channel approach, like it's important for us to be everywhere that our customer is, but we all, but we're not targeting everyone. Like niche marketing is just being really, really specific about who your customer is and also really, really specific about defining your relationship with that customer. Um, and so I think those are the two things that we've done really well and continue to do really well, even as we expand what that niche looks like. Can you say more about that, about defining the relationship with your customer? What, what does that mean to you? So what exactly is that we're offering them? Like, it's it's not just leggings, right? And it's not just sports bras. Like, like we're really 
we're really trying to uplift our customers and like make them feel like they're a part of this movement and that their participation in fitness or movement practice matters and is worthy. Uh, and I, I don't think a lot of brands are thinking of that of their customers in that way. I think they're just like thinking about the product, how to sell more product, you know, um, but, but for us, it really is about this. Like if you think about clothing, so I have no fashion background whatsoever. If you told me 10 years ago, I was going to be running a fashion company, I would laugh in your face. <laughs> like I'm not a fashion kind of girl. Like, I mean, it's fun, whatever, but it's not, it's not one of my passions, but I am passionate about feminism and I'm passionate about confidence in the women around me. And I'm, and I'm passionate about how that confidence in, in women can help build a better world for everyone. And so uh, that's, that's what the, our relationship with our customer is centered around, right? It's not, the product is amazing and I stand by it a hundred percent. I think we have the best fitting leggings on the market, no matter your size. Um, but, but the reason the product is amazing and fits so well is because it has to make our customer feel confident. Like the confidence is the, is the main thing. So this is a super important point. I think that that people always talk about how important it is to be passionate. I think a lot of times that's equated to what you're kind of getting at, which is that people a lot of times are passionate about the product itself or passionate about fashion. But you're talking about being passionate about almost like a feeling, right? You're passionate Mm -hmm. about a feeling. And which I think if you start there, it's almost harder to decide what kind of business to start because you might be passionate about feminism or feeling confident, but there could be so many different products that or different kind of businesses that you could start to, I guess, uh, pull out that feeling. So I, th- I want to kind of take a step back and talk about this. Like, how did you work through the almost this mental exercise of, okay, I want to, I'm passionate about, uh, you know, people feeling confident in, in their bodies, passionate about feminism. And how did you walk yourself backwards to selling, you know, leggings, essentially? How do you even do that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, it really started with taking stock of my resources. What, what can I, you know, what kind of company do I want to build? Um, what, at, what resources do I have access to? I live in Los Angeles. There's a huge fashion community here. We have designers, pattern makers, factories. Um, I knew a few people that were running uh, e-commerce fashion brands. Uh, and so I got advice really early on. Um, but there's also, um, like clothing, if you think about it, is, is one of the most emotional products that you interact with every day. Um, when you get dressed in the morning, your clothes, you know, what you decide to put on sort of dictates the kind of day you're going to have. You know, if you're going to have an important meeting, you're going to put on something that makes you feel, you know, successful and confident. If you're going to chill out and play video games, you're going to put on something more relaxed. Like it really depends, like, who do I want to be today? And like your clothes are are so important in that. Uh, And when I realized that as I was sort of, you know, tossing around ideas, I thought about opening a gym. I thought about doing an app. I thought about all these things. And when I really thought about the things that, that I interact with on a daily basis, with respect to my fitness practice, I kept coming back to the close. Um, and I also did a, a lot of, you know, I asked people like, which, which products are most important to you in your fitness practice? And people always, always, always complain about the clothes. Um, they couldn't find things, especially plus size athletes. They can't find things that fit. They don't have, you know, the, there was, there's no access to really premium uh, fitness apparel for plus size athletes. Uh, and so like, I didn't set out to do a, a fashion company, but the further I went down the process of, of, of discovery, the, the more I realized that was the thing that I needed to make. Mm. And so you chose to also start with leggings specifically. Was there, was there a reason behind that too? Yeah. I asked, um, you know, what, which particular products are most important to your performance? 
Um, so, you know, you can just throw on a re- any regular t-shirt and still perform just as well. But if your leggings are falling or drooping or rolling, it, it distracts you from your movement practice and it makes you feel uncomfortable in your body. If your clothes don't fit right, you're not going to feel right. And so, uh, leggings was, was initially the thing that people had the most complaints about leggings and sports bras. <laughs> and to be frank, I started with leggings because they're easier. <laughs> that makes sense. Now, now, when you decided to expand into other products, how did you decide what to go into next? Well, again, sports bras were the next thing everybody was complaining about. Um, I wanted to. I realized we were have we needed a top. We we needed we needed visually sets. We needed things. We needed to be able to take photos and share content of people in which they were wearing only our brand. Because what was happening was, you know, we would do, um, we would create a bunch of content with people wearing our leggings, but we didn't have any tops or bras to complete the outfit. And so we couldn't really, you know, we just weren't, they weren't all branded in our stuff. And so from a marketing perspective, we needed to make something on top. Um, and so we went into, uh, to start a sort of lighter, um, like medium impact sports bra, uh, so that we could re- create really cute, fashionable matching sets, which is something that, again, plus size athletes don't really have access to. Um, and so we started there. Those sold really, really well. Um, now that we're now that we're growing so much, we have more resources. And so I've hired um, a designer to help us so that we can put out products more frequently. Um, and so now we're going into, we're doing like a warm up set, we're doing more performance tops. Um, and then we're, we're adding some, some, we're keeping the leggings fit the same cause it's perfect, <laughs> but we're adding new prints and new styles and new looks, um, so that people can have more options. Mm. So I think you, you do a lot of this kind of, this kind of surveys, this kind of feedback that, that you're getting. What, what are some of the important questions that you like to ask uh, customers that has been the most useful and impactful for, for business decisions? Um, definitely like, you know, which, which products are most important to your practice um, is a big one. Um, so I, again, I didn't want to start, we did, we've done some sort of branded shirts, you know, logos and, and, and mottos and stuff. Um, and they're okay, but it's just not what people really need. Like what they really need are leggings and sports bras. And so those are the things we started with. Um, but it's, we asked, it was important for us initially, uh, to also get this size chart, right? So, so sizing online is, is a huge challenge for clothing. Um, and especially when what you're selling is, is the, your confidence inspiring fit, it's important for your size chart to be like spot on, right? And so this is an area where um, we really, really listen to customer feedback so that, you know, in case something comes back from the factory and it's running small or it's running large, like we want to be really, really specific about helping people order their correct size because that's a not a great experience when, you know, you're expecting something to fit amazing and you're going to feel so confident and then you get it and it's like too small or too big. Um, so the size chart for us is, is big. Um, and so we, our reviews ask that, you know, does it, does it run small? Does it run, does it run big? And then we share that information back with the customer. Mm-hmm. What is the review system that you're using? Uh, right now we're using Luke's IO, uh, as a Shopify app. Um, and the reason I went with that one is because of photo, the photos are really great. And um, what we love about it is you can come to one of our product pages and we already use a really diverse models. Um, so you can see people with different body types in our clothing. But then, you know, on that same page, you can see all these customer reviews and all their photos. And so you can, you know, find someone that looks like you and be like, oh, yeah, that's how they're going to fit me. Um, and that's why we chose that one specifically. Mm-hmm. Any other apps that you use to run the business? Um, yeah, loops, loops. I like a lot. They're also interesting because they integrate with the loyalty programs, um, which I don't have installed yet, but I want to, um, I mentioned we use MailChimp. We're moving away from them. I'm looking at Clavio at the moment. Um, there's a little tiny app. Hang on, let me find my, sorry, I had notes for this question. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, there's a simple little widget. 
that we use called collection filter. It's like the easiest little thing, but without it, um, customers aren't able to search by size. So with collection filter, customers for any product or any collection can, you know, scroll the drop down and choose it. Like if you're a 3XL, you choose 3X and it shows you all the products available in your size. Um, and so that's a little simple one. Um, oh, I also wanted to mention um, Shopify experts. So if you, uh, I I can do a little bit of like HTML and sort of, you know, like I can edit a blog, but I am not a coder and I don't have one on staff. And so if you need uh, some customization done to your site or to your theme or to even to an app that you've installed, Shopify experts are amazing. I hired um, a developer through Shopify experts who has now been working for me uh, for over two years and has like changed my life. He's fast. He's easy. Um, so I, I highly, highly recommend Shopify experts. Um, and then finally, um, I'm working with uh, AdMixed. This is my, they're my uh, Facebook and Instagram ad platform and they do they post, um, you can find them through the Shopify app store. Um, they do uh, all of our ads and all of our Facebook retargeting. And this this is like a huge, 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 like a third of my business is from them. Um, and they still do work with smaller brands. Most of the brands are much bigger than me, but um, I can't recommend them enough. And they're, again, they're called AdMix. Got it. Yeah, we'll link to all of those suggestions. Appreciate that. So when you when you have your store, you mentioned that there are customizations that you've been able to hire some from someone from the Shopify expert directory for. Can you give some examples of changes that 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 you've made uh, on the site, either through a developer or just you know your, yourself that have had a big impact on the business? Yeah. Um, again, because I have a sort of internet background, I think a lot about of the website and how customers interact with it and, you know, their sort of journey through our brand on the website. Um, I use the Greg is his name, my Shopify expert. Um, he, so my theme has um, an option to like the homepage has a really robust content system where you can add, you know, video reviews, or you can just pull, you know, products, collections, where you can pull in all these um, modules, essentially, from your site to create a really interactive, robust web page. You're only supposed to be able to do that on the homepage. But I have I like to have a lot of my pages this way. And in order to create more of them, you need to dig into the code. And so he's constantly making those pages for me. Um, especially because it'll have a tendency to slow down the site if you make too many of them and you do it incorrectly. Um, and then the other thing we sort of uh, manufactured ourselves is the Body Positive Fitness Finder. And we used an app called, I think it's Store Locator uh, to create that. So if you go to superfithero.com slash body positive, you can see we've created this sort of this map where you can locate uh, trainers near you. And we used an app called Store Locator. So originally this app is made for brands that have you know, offline locations so that people can find a store near them. But we just repurposed it uh, to find the trainers that we're partnered with. Um, and again, Greg created this page for us where he uh, combined the store finder with just essentially a blog underneath it that we use to uh, categorize all the trainers that you can easily search uh, based mm. on activity. And you mentioned that the Body Fitness Finder was a, a way for you to match your, your existing customers uh, with the, the or, or non-customers, you can check it out too, uh, with the, the trainers that were your, your influencers. So tell us about that. What was your influencer strategy? How did you connect with all of these these trainer partners? Well, we decided um, that it made more sense for us to focus on um, people in the space that are really, really specifically share, like share our ethos. That was more important to us than follower count. Um, and so, you know, a lot of these trainers only have, you know, 300 followers. Like we, we're not really making a choice based on, on how big they are. Instead, we're just we're trying to get everyone who's telling this story um, 
we want them all to be a part of our, of our community. Um, and so that was kind of how that was, our, that's been our, our, from the beginning, that's been our, our process. We, we tried, you know, I think we've, we've, we've tried a lot of things with influencers. You know, we send free product out, we try to get reviews. We still do some of that. Um, but we found that, you know, a lot of the more fashion oriented influencers, um, we weren't getting the same, uh, response as the people that are really, really focused on body positive fitness specifically. Like it just, as a brand, it made more sense to partner with people that were a better fit with respect to messaging than just because they have a bunch of followers. Um, and so that's sort of what sent us down this path initially. Um, and you know, a lot of the bigger brands, they do this where they'll, you know, the yoga brands will sponsor yoga teachers where it just essentially means yoga teachers get a discount on their stuff because obviously you want the teacher in front of the class to be wearing your brand. Right. And so that's not a new idea. Um, but we're just, you know, focused on a very specific type of trainer. Awesome. So superfithero.com is a website. I'll leave you this last question. What was the biggest lesson that you learned last year that you are applying for this year? Oh, it's, um, it's all about putting products out more frequently, <laughs> like a hundred percent. When I put new stuff out, we make money. When we don't, it, we don't, uh, it really is, uh, um, you know, you hear the whole thing about like 80% of your revenue comes from 20% of your customers. And it's totally, totally true. And in, in order to enable that, you have to keep putting out new products for those 20% to keep supporting you. Mm, that's, that, yeah, that's super insightful. So what, what are you doing to speed up the, the process of product development and, and launching new products? Uh, well, I'm, I'm trying to get on a schedule now where we're putting out something new every six weeks. Um, and so I've hired a designer to help us do that, to help keep us on it. You know, I'm, I'm basically a one woman show. I have one full-time employee and a bunch of contractors. Um, and so it was important for me to hire someone in that role so that, uh, just to make sure that it's getting the attention it needs so that we can move as fast as we can. Uh, so yeah, I hired a designer who's working directly with our factory, um, to, to get stuff out more frequently. Awesome. Makes sense. So lots of new things to look out for, uh, for then over at superfithero.com. Yeah, thank you so much for your time, Mickey. No, oh, thank you. This has been a really fun conversation. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Shopify Masters, the e-commerce podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs powered by Shopify.